listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. And this week, we're discussing the idea of the rot economy of an article written by Ed Zitron. He argues that businesses have abandoned the idea of doing things well to focus solely on growth. Uh, Keith, we have discussed the rot economy once before, but just give us a refresher on the idea of it and what it means. Well, his argument is that we're actually in a late stage of capitalism, although I'm not sure quite what follows the next (laughs) variety. I guess being optimistic, it'll be something dealing with sustainability and the environment, that sort of thing. Mm. So in this article, the writer, Ed Zitron, who writes on business for The Atlantic and for other magazines, He's looking at the way in which we've really wrecked the internet already, and it's only been going for, say, 40 years. I'm old enough to remember when it came in, people said it was going to revolutionise business, people were going to do everything online, they are going to do schooling online, etc. And he's already writing as though Google has destroyed itself. In the case of Google, you use Google as a way of searching for information. There is a way of gaming Google. It's called search engine optimization. I'm sorry to say I've been one of those who've so have I. <laughs> employed webmasters to SEO myself. Unfortunately, yes, I'm one of those who have helped wreck Google. With search engine optimization, instead of relying on the standard Google algorithm to find something, what you want is for your name or your product or whatever to be pushed up the page rating. This is based on the idea that people are so impatient nowadays. Bill Gates used the expression about business at the speed of light. In other Mm. words, that electricity travels at the speed of light. People have got short concentration spans. They want stuff to be done instantly. If you're not on that first page in an internet search, they don't go to a second or third page looking for information. So you get around that problem through search engine optimization rather than relying on Google. So in a sense, people are gaming the internet, such as Google, and in the process are ruining what Google was originally about. So now it's just become something which you can employ others to undermine in order to help you. But then as you're doing it, others are also doing it as well. So it just becomes a wild west. And something which was seen as being this very valid and useful way of getting information on something or an individual is now being eroded. And he's particularly critical of the way in which so much spam is issued. Mm. Going back again to Bill Gates, he gave us a promise that they would be able to develop technology to prevent spam. Well, as he says here, it's simply not true. Mm. The people who design the spam find ways of getting around all of this. So even if you unsubscribe from something, lo and behold, it'll come back. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with SEO, it is such a big focus for companies now because it, you know, and I guess the interesting thing is, is that it's having a negative effect on journalism because people are trying to put together an article. I've written one that's optimised for (laughs) SEO and it was a load of crap. It was just (laughs) the information you think Google's going to pick up. 
What impacts does this have on journalism long term in having people write these articles just so that the search engine picks it up? Well, it's the rot economy. Yeah. You know, it's it, moving very far away from any sort of useful transaction. It becomes purely monetized. It's all a question of metrics, getting the numbers, etc. So you've got young, talented journalists like yourself who'll be doing stuff simply to be attracted to the Google searches mm. rather than writing what you'd prefer to write about something. And the interesting thing with that as well is how people, and it's talked about in this article, finding a Reddit post, which is one person saying, oh, I went to, you know, this shop and the owner spat on me, for example. There's no background checks. There's no verification. And it's picked up and it's put out as news. What are the impacts of that on people who are consuming news, people who want to know about the world around them? I think the problem is that people then become very sceptical of all sorts of news and also very wary of misinformation, etc. So I think we're living in a world where we just don't know what's going to go on. If you link that, that in with deep fakes, mm-hmm. in other words, how you can manipulate images so that, for example, you get um, advertisements in the United States with President Obama endorsing President Trump, for example. Clearly, that's not happening in real life, but you can now fake the pictures to do that. So I think that people are going to be getting more and more confused about exactly what sort of world they're living in and what news is all about. So a pretty gloomy assessment from Ed Zitron about what we're going to be seeing with the way in which this malfunctioning of the internet, which, as I say, is only about 40, 50 years old. Mm. And we're already beginning to start writing its obituary. (laughs) Pretty frightening. So is that how he envisions the future of the internet then, is that it's just going to basically be an advertising board? Yeah. And as he says here, that, you know, he just doesn't use email now, or at least not his own home email. He tells people, send me emails to the office because the office will have very strict censorship and they, they may be able to exclude a lot of the emails coming in through their system. Mm. But it just shows that something which was being hailed 40 years ago as being fantastic as a way of speeding up communications, you don't need to go down to the post office to get a stamp, to put a, a stamp on an envelope, etc. <laughs> You're able to do things so effortlessly, and it's come back to bite us. The purpose of all this, I guess, is advertising, isn't it? Whether it's a literal product or whether it's your brand. Yeah. How have companies managed to weasel their way into this? Um, that's a good question. And I'm, <laughs> it's not terribly clear to me how they've been able to do it, but they have obviously been able to, to master it. And there are all sorts of techniques. This has become a whole industry in its own right, whether it's search engine optimization or whether it's advertising for companies. It's interesting that so many advertisements are being produced and yet so few of them are actually memorable. It's worth bearing in mind that this year is the 50th anniversary of the making of the Hovis advertisement, which is one that you have it. Ah, (laughs) you can get it on YouTube. Uh It's one of the most historic ones ever made in Great Britain. Okay. A young lad struggling up the hill, a gold hill in Dorset. My then girlfriend and I were there the previous year. We had no idea (laughs) that the view that we looked at in 1972 was going to become so ironic from 1973 onwards. So Hovis is a brand of uh, brown bread. Okay. And they had this advertisement, which has now become legendary. And the guy who who made the ad, beginning of his career, went on to Hollywood to make Blade Runner and other 
well-known movies. Okay. It's a brilliant piece of advertising, but it's an exception that it's something that I can remember seeing decades later, and you also see all sorts of programs made about it. If you're loyal to the brand, you know, you keep an eye on how it is being used. The most recent one is the um, the youngster on the bicycle, who's now a middle-aged, retired firefighter, <laughs> <laughs> features again on Gold Hill, and it's a brilliant advertisement. I won't spoil it for people who haven't had a chance to but you can get it on YouTube, as I say. That is memorable. But generally speaking, so much of what goes on in advertising is just so boring. Yeah. And people are just mentally switching off. Mm. And if you look at YouTube, they've got um, so many ads now when they're showing the, you know, the programs on YouTube. And the ABC, which is supposed to be ad-free, has its own brand of commercials. At least those of us who work in the commercial media can say, well, we do occasionally produce the Hovis memorable <laughs> ad. The ABC ones uh, sound like they're written by a public service committee in Canberra. Mm. So, uh, you know, it is a pretty gloomy assessment as to what's going on in the world of advertising. Yeah, and the worst thing is, is that Ed uh, Zitron makes the point, Google has no incentive to stop doing this. No. And, I mean, it's all for money, right? Yeah, it's only about money. And so ultimately, the economy destroys itself through greed. It's just really as simple as that. And people would then just turn off and just simply stop buying things. Interesting um, survey that's just come out in Australia that people are now going back into bricks and mortar stores rather than buying online. Really? They obviously like the human contact and you can decide whether or not you want a product on the spot rather than waiting for it to arrive. So it is interesting how... People want to get back to that human touch. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Thanks for your company as we look into the so-called rot economy and the death of the internet. Now, social media has become embroiled in this too. It's not just Google. Twitter or X, as it's now known, Facebook, Instagram, they're peppered with ads. You can't escape it. How does this impact a platform's trust with its users who have come to know it as a place to get a connection? Yes, absolutely. And he says, look, the strength of something like Twitter or X, as you say, that's been recently rebranded, is that it's immediate and it's my way of communicating directly. And, And Donald Trump is a great example of someone who was able to make the most of that direct, unmediated connection with the general public. No censorship. You know, it's not like, say, um, a major outlet like the BBC, which would make decisions about what to air or perhaps air something but with a warning that this is unsuitable. What you're going to get with, with Trump is just a pure Trump communicating. But the problem is that that's now being clogged up with ads as well. Mm. And so are you going to persist with X and continue to use it? Or is it going to be, in the end, perhaps just devaluing itself? And Elon Musk's point of view as well, as long as people are using it, there's no incentive for me to make any changes. And I guess that's another example of how the rot economy works. If I'm making money from it, I don't care what the value is. Exactly. So what's the ultimate goal here then? Is there anything aside from making money that these companies and these billionaires are trying to get out of it? You know, the alternative point of view is to talk about social license. This is an issue that has come up recently in connection with the big accounting firms. And what we've seen here in Australia with the way in which they have behaved, the phrase is that they have lost their social license. This is your 
licensed to operate, that, okay, you meet all the government guidelines, but are you providing a service of which the general public approves? That's your social licence. And it may well be that some of these companies are just going to lose their social licence as the consumers say, well, we're not going to be associated with it and we're not going to buy it. Is that likely to happen? I feel like with these sort of things, people kind of get swept up in it and it becomes normal. So you see an ad when you're scrolling on Instagram and you just scroll past it. It might annoy you, (laughs) but you're not willing to give up whatever else Instagram is for you. You know, is there incentive in, we know the businesses have no incentive, but is there incentive within people to change? Well, if they start to change their values. I was interested in a recent report showing how young employees are very much concerned about the values of potential employers. Mm-hmm. In my day, if you got a job, you were lucky. You didn't ask too many. You never asked questions in interviews except, when do I start? Mm. Uh, whereas now, when these courageous young people go to job interviews, they're asking questions of the employers, yeah. including the whole question of values. Now, whether or not they're going to bring about a change in values of companies and companies are going to say, well, if we're going to attract good staff, then we have to be careful about what we do and we might need to have to lift our game. That's maybe a long-term issue. Mm. I get a little wary. I guess I'm just becoming so jaded, a bit like Ed Zitron, (laughs) (laughs) getting a bit jaded. To what extent are these young people going to continue to drive value changes? At the moment, they've got the whip ham because there's a shortage of labour. But if you get a downturn in the economy or you get more artificial intelligence then we'll need fewer humans working. At the moment, humans are important because they do very highly skilled value-added work. Whereas if you're working on a factory floor, then really anybody could do your job. But if you're in a more skilled area in broadcasting or the law, et cetera, then you are contributing a certain amount. Now, eventually, if you end up being replaced by artificial intelligence, the employers could say, well, we're going to treat you like factory hands. And you either come to work for us on our terms or you don't. It's as Mm. simple as that. Mm. So to what extent they would be able to drive long-term value with a focus on the social licence? I would like to think that they will do that, but I'm not completely confident that they will. The rod economy often kind of refers, at least in the articles you've sent me that I've read, it's, um, aside from Google, it's a lot of startups. It's a lot of recent kind of tech bros who are starting these companies. Have we seen anything similar in older, more established brands? Or is this kind of a new way of doing things that we're seeing come through? I think it is a new way of doing it. Although I guess, you know, you go back to the past, say with gold mining, and people would claim they've found reams of, of gold, and people would then invest in their companies. So you fake it until you make it. Mm. So that's perhaps a very old way of doing it. So People always tell me there's nothing new in the world of business, nothing new under the sun. Everything's just being reinvented. Mm-hmm. You just wait for the current generation who remember the old tricks to die off and then you just bring them out of the cupboard again and run them yep. with them again. But in today's era, things are happening much faster. The social media are certainly driving the pace of change for good or ill mm. and businesses are always on the lookout for new opportunities. But the bottom line is the bottom line. You're there to make money, not there to do good in the world. Now, you've got Professor Michael Porter at Harvard who's trying to argue, well, the purpose of business is to do good in the world. That's interesting. It's a very interesting argument. 
I'm sure a lot of captains of industry will say, yes, you're quite right, but then go ahead and ignore it. <laughs> you know, worrying about investors, they're there to make money for their investors. Yeah. Not to do good in the world. If they do good and earn money at the same time, all well and good. Mm. Is there any appetite amongst businesses to move away from this model of profit over everything? Well, there are the straws in the wind, so we've all identified them. We've got the issue of the focus on the social licence. Mm. We've got Michael Porter's new value-added economy. You've also got sustainability, which will eventually try to change values and protect the environment, etc. So there are some interesting straws in the wind. And, of course, you've got someone like Mariana Mazzucuto, who's now at University College London. She was at Sussex. Her argument is that government needs to get back into the business of organising economies. And she talks about these moonshot activities. In other words, that we got to the moon back in 1969 because the US government worked with big business. So we need to have more partnerships between government and big business. And government just needs to be more highly skilled. Going back to the accounting crisis that we had in this country, a lot of our most skilled accountants left the government and went to work in the commercial sector. So when work had to be done, you employed the consultants at a much higher price mm. from outside. Now, the argument would be that what we've got to do is to start reskilling the public service and to bring back into the public service the skills that they used to have at one time but lost with all the downsizing and the reinvention of government, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there are some straws in the wind. I think that what we're trying to do in this series is to look for alternatives. Nothing ever lasts forever. So, okay, you've got the rot economy. Eventually, something else will happen. Now, it may well be that we all just sink into a terrible, abysmal mess. <laughs> uh, you know, mm. Greta Thunberg, my hero, keeps <laughs> warning us that that's what's happening, this environmental apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Or it may well be that we will break through to improvements to how we do things. We've got to listen for the faint signals of change. We've got to look to see what is happening on the horizon and try to make sure that we are monitoring these developments. They may be a bit far out of reach at the moment, maybe perhaps a bit too left field in our thinking, but that's what we need to be doing, just keeping an eye on these straws in the wind to find out new ideas on how to organise economies. Well, that's a little nugget of hope for us, isn't it, Keith? Thanks for your time. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic.